Welcome to Rich Conversations. Today we're joined by Matt Anhalt in Las Vegas, Nevada. He works in airport operations at the Harry Reid International Airport. If the Anhalt name sounds familiar, that's because Matt's brother Joe has been on this podcast four different times. In fact, the day that this episode comes out, I'll be staying at Joe's lovely apartment in Brooklyn, New York. How's that for meta, right? That's pretty cool. Matt is very passionate about aviation and flying. Uh, It's very enjoyable learning from his experience and his interests. He shares with us the life of mileage runners. So it's flying to accumulate miles and rewards for fun. Flying for fun. We also go into the behind the scenes of what goes into running an airport. It's like an ecosystem within itself. We even ponder the future of flight, both like during COVID, but like right after COVID, and even like 10 to 20 years beyond this point. So uh, he also reveals his favorite airports as well, which is like something I'm so fascinated by. You can follow Matt on Instagram at airside underscore Matt underscore 83. You can also follow this podcast on all the social platforms. Subscribe on YouTube, at Rich Convos on TikTok and Instagram, and at Rich Convos Pod on Twitter and Facebook. Message us for any topics you'd like us to explore or people that you think would be thoughtful and insightful. Now, let's talk airports and aviation. Get ready for takeoff. All right. Welcome to Rich Conversations. This is going to be, I'm anticipating, an excellent episode. Uh, We have a fan favorite on our show who's Joe Anhalt. He's been on four times. Today, we're going to have his brother on, Matt Anhalt, who works at the Las Vegas airport. And we're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. I'm excited to get into this. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Rich. I am happy to be here and uh, excited to do my very first podcast. Yeah, this is going to be good. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, well, as you already mentioned, I'm Joe's older, more intelligent, better looking brother. <laughs> um, but, uh, my name's Matt. I am 38 and I live and work in Las Vegas, Nevada. I've been here a little more than 10 years and I work at Harry Reid International Airport, the I think it's seventh busiest in the country right now. I don't know. COVID numbers have kind of messed with that, but definitely top 10. And uh, yeah. I enjoy all things aviation. What are, what are like the other top six? Um, usually like you've got Atlanta, Atlanta and Chicago hair go back and forth, but it's usually been Atlanta. You got LAX, Houston, and uh, there's a couple others up there that I'm drawing a blank on, but, uh, LaGuardia uh, or Newark or something, um, Newark might be up there. Um, okay. but, uh, but yeah, we are, we, we're number, I think number seven. So it's, a, it's a pretty busy place to say the least. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. So before we get into aviation, what, it, I've never been to Las Vegas. What, what is Las Vegas like? Really? You've never been to Las Vegas. I've never been. Wow. Well, Vegas is an interesting city, you know, (laughs) you don't say to say the least, you know, when when people people that don't live here uh, and they they come visit and they they realize that there's definitely more to the city than the strip. And they're like, wow, there's people that actually live live here in Vegas. There's actually about two million people that live here in Las Vegas. And you've got and but obviously Vegas is known for the Las Vegas strip. And, um, but there, the thing about Vegas is actually, there's a lot more to do out here than just the strip. And you quickly, you quickly become acclimated to becoming a local when you definitely get sick of like visiting the strip. Like as a local now, I never go to the strip except when people come and visit. And even then people, you know, people come and visit like, Hey man, let's come, you know, come hang out at Caesars or Bellagio. And you're just kind of like, uh okay. <laughs> I, you know i guess it's the same way with you in chicago like yeah downtown is fun and all but i mean do you really hang out downtown much you know it's 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 like uh 
you know, you, you do think there's, there's so much to do away from, away from this trip. But anyway, but, um, Vegas is, uh, it's, it's a great, it's fun to live here. Um, and like I mentioned, if you're an outdoor person, there's actually quite a lot to do. Um, Mount Charleston is an hour away. Um, and Mount Charleston peak is just a shade under 12,000 feet. So you can actually go okay. skiing and snowboarding up there in the winter. Death Valley's a couple hours away. Zion is a few hours away. Grand Canyon. So it's actually a really big uh, area for out people that uh, love hiking, biking, rock climbing, things like that. And then it's also a great foodie scene. And, uh, and again, even off the strip, uh, my wife and I, we really like going out, trying new restaurants and new bars, um, having a good cocktail and good meal. And, um, you know, you really... Vegas is, is really a, a big melting pot like any other city um, on and off the strip. And there seems to be like a, a new bar, a new restaurant and op opening yeah. up every month or two. And uh, it, it's really uh, it really is a foodie town. And, uh, and and that's another thing that I really, really like about it. And then also the weather is nice. Uh, no offense to you all in Illinois, but that was one of the reasons I actually moved out here was to get away from those those cold, cold Midwest winters. And Tonight, the, uh, it was like seven degrees today and uh i live right on the lake so i, I like uh, to take walks to it and then there's like nobody and i love the solitude that the the cold allows <laughs> you know to each their own rich <laughs> was uh i think it was 62 and sunny here today um oh, i had a polo on and uh it was it was quite nice so uh i i like to give my family and friends back home uh you know, uh, a hard time whenever it gets really cold there and it's nice here. I'm like, Hey guys, you know, just hanging yeah. out with outside it's 60 degrees and sunny. So yeah, this was uh, a long, weather, long underwear day underneath so, the, uh, the jeans <laughs> <laughs> that, so the weather is definitely the reason why I, I moved out here and I, I enjoyed living here because, uh, in the summertime, even though it, it does get hot as the, uh, as the saying goes, and everybody is sick of me saying it, it I'd much rather prefer the dry heat over the humidity, any, any day of the year. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's really nice all pretty much throughout the entire year. Yeah. So what I, like, I do hear a lot about Vegas outside of, you know, like the strip and I hear that the city is growing quite a bit. What is it? What do you think it looks like like 10 years from now? Um, so, uh, you know, I can't take anything away from the strip itself. I mean, the city, right. Is, yeah. It centers around that as it should. And, and, you know, as much as I like to give uh, the strip a hard time, there actually, there is so much to do there. And it, you know, we, we, we label ourselves or Vegas labels itself as the entertainment capital of the world. And, and it's, and it's obvious with all the shows, the nightlife, the performers, and, um, and then all, and then as well as the uh, culinary experiences you can get on the strip. Um, we just recently last year opened up a new mega resort, uh, re called resorts world, which is on the North end of the strip. And the strip seems to be kind of migrating North. If you actually look at it on a map, um, it starts down by the airport, goes up North and then kind of between the, that new resort or the wind, I should say in the stratosphere, there's still kind of a, an empty space. There's empty spaces there, mm -hmm. but I would think in the next 10 years, we'd probably see at least one more mega resort start being built. And possibly even a, uh, another, uh, stadium. Um, that was actually one thing I, I made note of was that Vegas is really becoming a sports town. And that's one thing I really love. Um, it started with, uh, well, actually I can go back to the, the, uh, early nineties with the UNLV men's basketball teams oh, that yeah, were yeah. extremely popular. And that yeah. really, I think put Vegas on the map, uh, sports wise. Yeah. And it was a little bit of a lull. Uh, between then and now after they had their few successful seasons, but the golden Knights obviously came into town mm -hmm. and they've done extremely well. Um, yeah. The, the Raiders are now in town. The uh, WNBA team, the aces have had success recently as well. Yeah. And um, there's rumors that the athletics now might be coming here. And then I actually just read today that the MLS is looking at possibly bringing a franchise here in the near future. Um, and I always I hear the NBA is looking at Vegas too. I was, I was just about to say, I think yeah. it's only a matter of time before we get an NBA team here. I mean, it would yeah. be, it'd be crazy for them not, not to be here with seeing the success of both the golden Knights and, um, the Raiders 
And we've already got a stadium. I mean, they could co-locate with the Golden Knights, I'm sure, mm-hmm. if they needed to. Or, I mean, there's plenty of space to build a stadium, you know, on the strip somewhere. But I, I definitely agree with you that I would could definitely see in the next 10 years, an MLS team, an MLB team, and an NBA team all coming to Las Vegas, possibly within the next five years. I don't. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So between between that and um, like I said, possibly another mega resort being built and the Fountain Blue, which if you look that up, that's that's a project that started back before the 2008 crash. They literally built the the building, which was like seven sixty or seventy stories high well maybe not that high, but it's a giant building if you look it up you'll see pictures of it and they stopped during the uh when the financial crisis hit in 2008 they stopped building it and it's basically been sitting empty since then there's been a couple buyers that said they're gonna they're gonna renovate it and then they didn't now there's another one that they say that they're gonna get it up and running i think by the end of 2023 and again that's another property towards the north part of the strip and so it's the, the Las Vegas strip is slowly migrating North towards the stratosphere. And if that actually comes to fruition, you know, that's just, like I said, that's another, uh, another property on the uh, ever growing Las Vegas strip. And so I really think with, with the, with COVID's knock on wood, hopefully starting to get behind us that the next 10 years are really going to be booming for Las Vegas. Yeah. This is a, a photo of it. Yep. Right. Yeah. yeah that's it. So imagine that thing just sitting vacant since yeah. about 2008, 2009. Wow. Like there's been nothing going on, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, it'd be really nice to get that, get that property up and running. So like I said, a developer has bought the, bought the building and the land and they say it's going to be ready by the end of 2023. So I'll believe it we'll when see. I see it. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, why don't we uh, go go into aviation here? What uh, right. what initially like sparked your interest in aviation and flying? Uh, that definitely goes to my dad, who was a commercial airline pilot for 30 years and a pilot for 40, 40 plus years. So growing up, it was just around the family all the time. And back when it was easy to fly standby we would go to florida as kids two three times a year just because we could and it was easy so we were flying all the time as kids so being around it i always wanted to uh as a younger uh kid and young adult um be a pilot and then things changed in college and then i got into aviation management and instead of going the pilot route i have gone the the management route or in this case, operations route instead. And it's been, it's been pretty fun. Um, I've been doing it uh, for about 14, 14 years now, almost 15 years, but it all, it all goes back to my father and him being a commercial airline pilot. Yeah. I remember Joe uh, in college, he would tell me that like your dad would commute out of Philly, but he lives in Illinois. And it was like, what? (laughs) How does that, that work? It That's sounds so crazy. Yeah, it sounds crazy to most people, but in the in the in the world of aviation, that's actually quite that's very common that pilots or flight attendants will live out, outside of a base in another state, another city, and commute to work. So that's very common within the aviation industry. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yes, you're you know, it's like, oh yeah, my dad's commute is like 800 miles or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it was always it's so crazy to think about it, but it, for us, it was it was normal. You know, he would have yeah. to leave early to, so he could get, to, you know, take the first flight to get to yeah. Philadelphia or Charlotte, wherever he was based at the time. Yeah. And uh, but that was a that was a great sacrifice that he made for for the family. And, uh, you know, because they really enjoyed or they really loved the Bloomington normal area where we lived. And, um, you know, that was a, a, sac- a huge sacrifice that that he was willing to make. Yeah, absolutely. So you've been um, an airport operations coordinator. Uh, tell me, tell me what you did with that and what you're doing now. Oh, the the million dollar question. It's always <laughs> people. He texted, people. He, Matt texts me like all this list of things 
of like <laughs> things that he does. <laughs> oh shoot. It's, it's hilarious. Especially when, when people ask my wife, what does your husband do? And she's just, she has no idea how to explain my job or what I used to do as a coordinator to them. And even now as a management analyst, it's, it's, it's such a, um, it's such a niche uh, position and it, it's such a specified position there's, uh, that it, it's very hard to explain if you don't know the world of aviation, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to explain it as best as possible. Yeah. But as an airport operations coordinator, well, let me back up. First of all, any airport that has airline service, the FAA says you have to, there, here are these rules you have to abide by. If you're going to transport passengers, you have to abide by all these rules and the, the airfield itself needs to needs to abide by these rules. So what airports have done is they've hired people like myself as airport operations coordinators, or they might be named something else, but essentially um, people like myself will go out there out on the airfield and make sure that the airfield is, is up to the F, these FAA rules and regulations. So um that's basically the, that's the meat and potatoes of being a coordinator is that you're making sure the airport is running by the and abiding by these FAA rules and regulations. So that conduct that consists of airfield inspections, ramp inspections, um, perimeter inspections. And each airport is a little bit different. The bigger the bigger the airport, generally, the more confined you get. So like when I worked at Bloomington, which is a, a tiny regional airport, we did everything we did. We did all the airfield stuff, the terminal stuff, and even some landside stuff. Whereas now at at, uh, at Harry Reid International, it's very specific. So as a coordinator, I fo- I stayed strictly on the ramp and the airfield. So I'd go out and and inspect the airfield daily. I inspect the ramp daily, just making sure that um, the concrete is in good condition, the paint is in good condition, the lights work, um, the infield areas which are off the pavement edges where the, there might be grass or rocks and the FAA actually gets very specific on some things. For example, um, a, a taxiway center line that airplanes follow when they taxi out to the runway says, if you have this size aircraft, this taxi line needs to be between six inches and 12 inches wide. And the border needs to be black between three and six inches wide. So they get down to very specific distances or sizes, things like that. And, um, and so those are all, those are things that as a coordinator, you know, you're not just out there being like, okay, yeah, the lights work. Oh, there's one out. Yeah. Big deal. Not, not a big deal. The the FAA will actually get down to, okay, if you have a runway and, and this many, these, this many edge lights are unlit, you have to shut the runway down until you fix them. And the, the, those, those, um, those books that they come out with are called advisory circulars. And if you want something to put you to sleep really quickly, those, <laughs> those would definitely be something you can, uh, you can venture into and fall asleep very, very quickly. But um, the, the advisory circulars are hundreds and hundreds of pages of, you know, those rules that I was talking about that I was just mentioning. And so, we go off of those to make sure that the airfield and ramp is, is, um, you know, is, is up to code and, uh, and somebody needs to be doing that. So imagine any airport with airline service and they've got a team of people that, that go out and do that on a daily, daily basis. And it's, it's 24, seven, 365 a year, no, no breaks. So, um, wow. that's basically the meat and potatoes of it. Now there's a bunch of other things that I would do as well, such as respond to, security incidents, aircraft uh, incidents or emergencies. Um, and, uh, you know, we do like wildlife checks, things like that. So there are, and that's why this is a loaded, loaded question. that I could, <laughs> spend, I could spend this entire podcast just talking about that, but I'll keep it short. But there are so many other things that a coordinator will do at an airport. Um, it, and it, it's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that people don't even realize, you know, yeah. when they go to an airport, they think of the guys that have the wands and then ATC and then, and then that's like pretty much it, but there's so much, so much more behind yeah. the scenes. That's, that's one of the jobs and it's very important. Yeah. So is, do you still do that or now what are you up to? So now um, I am a, a management analyst for airside operations. So essentially take what I did as a coordinator out on the airfield 
but now I'm inside, uh, inside the terminal. I have my own office. So what I will do is as a coordinator, you'll look like I mentioned those advisory circulars, you kind of reference those a little bit, but if we, if we come and do an issue or if there's, um, you know, say an, an airline says, Hey, we want to bring in this big airplane. Will it fit? We'll, we'll be able to fit it at a gate or on a taxi or a runway. I'll actually dive, dive into more of the, um, uh, the books or the advisory circulars and do, and, and do the, the, the deep dive into that where the court, when the coordinators don't have the time to do it. So, um, as a management analyst, it's more of the, the office side of things rather than actually being boots on the ground out in the airfield type thing. So, okay. um, I'll be, um, I'll be, uh, um, doing uh, another thing that I do is, uh, I, I do a little bit of AutoCAD, the computer uh, engineering program where I'll, um, check to see if an airplane can taxi safely to and from a gate or will it fit on a gate properly? Mm. Cause we have, we have certain rules where there has to be certain wingtip clearances. Um, and I have, and that program allows me to do that. And that actually can get, get quite fun and, and challenging. Um, for example, one time uh, when we had the president here, it was a year or two ago, we had to have both Air Force One aircraft here on the ground on a specific holding pad. And one of the things I had to do was use that program to um, basically uh, see if both those aircraft, those 747s could taxi in, have them park and have enough space where one could get out if it needed to around the other one. And so I used this AutoCAD program to do that. And it was pretty cool. And the fact that we had both Air Force One airplanes here at the same time was yeah. actually quite incredible because that almost never happens outside of Andrews Air Force Base. So we were, that was a really, really cool project and experience to be a part of. So wait, were you like nervous doing it or like how? No, because it was, yeah. uh, it was uh, a few days in advance. It's not like it was, uh, hey, going to be here. In, on the spot, in a, Air Force One's here. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. No, I, I definitely had some time. Um, so I wasn't nervous at all. I was, I was excited though, because it was, yeah. and it was a little bit of a challenge, but we were, we were able to make it work. And, um, uh, but it was very, it was very cool. And it was something new because when they proposed that, I was like, for this specific holding pad where we put airplanes, we'd never done that before. So I was kind of like, oh, yeah. is this going to work? Is it not? And like I said, it, it it ended up working out and it was, it was pretty awesome. I was able to get some pretty cool pictures of that too. So. So a question I have is what technology, what new technology excites you in your field for its possibilities? Um, so the one thing that we, when I was still a coordinator a few years ago, the one thing that we were just starting to play around with was were actually um, tablets um, and what that was what that was going to uh, enable us to do is basically spend less time in the office and do more out on the airfield because we would have a tablet there. So er almost yeah. everything we could do on the computer in the office, we could do out on the field uh, through um, uh, wireless connection. Okay. And so that was, and I think that's a, a big uh, game changer in the, in the airport operations world specifically for coordinators. And I've been to other airports where they'll, where they'll actually have like a laptop, set up in the passenger seat next okay. to them so they can literally do everything that they could in an office yeah. just right there so if there was an accident or an incident or, or whatever or even just a regular inspection if they find something like hey there's a light out on this taxiway they just go right on their laptop you know type in their work order and boom it sends it uh it sends it to the maintenance team whereas you know before you would have to write it down go back yeah. to the office then input it into the computer there so having a, a laptop or a tablet or even a cell phone to be able to expedite that process, I think is the biggest thing now that, that as a coordinator um, uh, is, is improving the job and making it more efficient. Um, so, and then not just that, but then just programs that are used to, to track things like inspections um, that's something that I'm looking to actually, uh, work on this year, hopefully is, uh, basically have our IT department, um, create a, a program that will help our coordinators 
keep track of fuel inspections. Long story short, every quarter of the year, we have to inspect every single fuel truck, every single piece of fueling equipment on the airport. And that's dozens and dozens of pieces of equipment. Yeah. With this program, that will make it more automated and easier for them. Again, improving efficiency Mm. and hopefully cutting down on the mistakes that are made because now a lot of it is um, done by hand where I think mistakes can be, can, are, are more prone to happen. And by this, again, you've got a tablet or a phone with you and you can just electronically document everything and yeah. goes right to the hard drive. And hopefully that'll make it easier for them. So technology, you know, it's a great thing. And I think that's where we at, at, at Harry Reid are looking to go is just improving it. So it makes it more efficient and we can get the job done more efficiently in that sense. And I'm sure if there's one thing that people would want out of an airport, it's efficiency. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like more timeliness, more efficiency. Yes. Um, I'm so fascinated with airports because there's just like, there's so many moving parts. It's like such a massive ecosystem. And just to like have this plane come in and then we're going to go back out on that plane. It's, it's just like all the movements and people involved. How many people work at the airport? If you, if you really, if you really think about it, an airport, especially the bigger ones like Las Vegas, San Francisco, JFK, and uh, O'Hare, it really is a city within a city. I yeah. mean, we have our own, our operations department, fire department, police department. We have shops, restaurants, um, you know, if you really get down and think about it, like that's what it is. And at our airport, I think I'm going to be just kind of throwing a dart out there, but the number of badged personnel. So that includes everybody that works for an airline, everybody that works for, you know, like a coordinator or myself um, works at a restaurant, a shop. So that's everybody that has a badge at the airport. I think we're up to like 16 or 17,000 badges. Now those wow. aren't all. Now those aren't all uh, DOA Department of Aviation employees. Yeah. Uh, there's actually a very small fraction of that that are DOA employees. But again, I'm talking about you're talking about everybody. Yeah, so, people that work in the restaurants, people that clean. Everybody. And we're and, and we're actually when it comes to the bigger airports in the country, that's actually a little bit smaller. I think LAX has something like twenty five or thirty thousand employees wow. that work there. It's it's absolutely insane. Atlanta, I'm sure O'Hare is the same way. Um, but again, you're talking about a small city. So yeah, um, it, it, it's, it, it takes an, an incredible amount of manpower and resources to run an airport. I think, and, and in fact, I think CNN did a special a few years ago at Atlanta where they did, yeah. they, they did the behind the scenes stuff. And it's, and it's a great, I think it's about an hour, two hour, um, little mini uh, uh, docu-series or something like that. But anyway, they go behind the scenes at Atlanta and it's, it's, it's a really great um, uh, little video that they did that I would recommend, uh, you know, if you have some time um, because they do a great job of explaining everything that like the passengers don't see from again, the, yeah. uh, the, the operations coordinators that do the runway and taxiway inspections to the baggage service, to the, the trains that run up, uh, run, um, you know, underground between the terminals. It's all the moving parts that make the airport work. And it's pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's something to really, uh, appreciate. So no one really notices all those moving parts unless something goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But in a way that's kind of a good thing because right. I, as I always say in the, in the industry, no news is good news. That means yeah. everything's smooth. Yeah. No problems. So, yeah. How did, how did Atlanta get to be such a big, like, uh, aviation hub? Um, well, I think it really just goes, I think part of it was luck because that's Delta airlines headquarters and Delta just decided that, you know, Hey, this is where we're going to flow most of our traffic, but it's also set up in a way that it can handle uh, a lot of airplanes Mm. in a short amount of time. Well, not a short amount of time, but in it can handle a lot of airplanes per hour. And that's what the, the FAA uh, towers depending on the setup of the runways they can, and, and their separation of the aircraft, 
they can only land so many airplanes per hour based on those separation, based on those distances that the aircraft have to be separated. But Atlanta is set up with parallel runways that allow the tower to do that. So between it being basically a mega hub for Delta and having, um, having that, that runway set up and for the most part, good weather, um, mm. that's all those things come together to uh, allow it to become the busiest airport in the world. And actually, if you, th- if you look at O'Hare, what O'Hare used to look like is they had runways crisscrossing and everything like that. But with this modernization they've done in the last 15, 15, 20 years or so, now most of their runways are parallel like Atlanta. So mm. um, having parallel runways like that really uh, improves your, the airport's efficiency in, in, in terms of being able to move aircraft. So again, to answer your question, um, airport layout, uh, the decision by Delta to make it their mega hub, and then a little bit of, you know, having good weather definitely helps as well. Interesting. Is O'Hare building another terminal? So they are... I know there's some type of construction going on. Yeah, no, they... It's, it's been construction for like the last 20 years, but yes, I believe the city and don't quote me on this. I'd have to actually look it up, but I believe the city, the uh, department of aviation there did just agree um, to approve an expansion. So this is going to happen over like the next 10 years where they're going to, they, they've already started expanding terminal five and then terminal two where American parks and a few other airlines, I forget, but they're actually going to turn that terminal into like their new big main international terminal. That's going to be like the centerpiece of the airport. But then I also Mm. heard that they're going to be extending some of the, uh, some of terminal one where United parks and possibly even building out to the West more terminal space there because the industry is just growing like crazy and air is growing like crazy. So they've added the runway capacity, but now they need to add the terminal capacity. So that's, that's up next. And so within the next, like I said, I think 10 to 15 years, you're going to, you're going to continue to see that transformation of O'Hare into a world-class facility when it's all said and done. Wow. Well, that kind of leads us into this next, uh, this next part of the conversation. This is what I'm especially excited about. Uh, can you share with me what you think, in your opinion, the like how the flying experience will change in the next 20 years? Um, so, yeah, what did I that, that was a good that's a good question. And I, and I like that one. Um, what did I say here? Um, so and, th- and just my opinion here, but I, I think that. With COVID, that really. Um, that really did did something to the industry where it it forced airlines to cut, and and now obviously they're building back up. But it it, it forced airlines to cut back on their service, cut back on the routes, everything like that. And I think it it really forced them to reevaluate how they do business. And I think that you're going to see less frills. Um, make it a little bit more just a simple experience. Like back in the day in the sixties and seventies mm. flying was considered a luxury. And if you look back, you know, if you look up like, um, uh, aircraft interiors from the sixties and seventies, I mean, huge lounge chairs, even in economy class and huh. hot meals on even short flights. Um, now the consumer is so price focused and oriented is that airlines are looking to make things uh, I think as cheap as possible while still making it a little bit comfortable. But when I say no frills is that I think you're going to see them cut back on say like first class and those, those super, super nice um, first class seats that a lot of the airlines had because people just don't want to pay for them anymore. And they Mm. just want to, they're just focused. The majority of the people are just focused on who can get me there for the cheapest price the quickest. And I mean, every airline, they fly roughly the same speed. So there's, you know, it's not like one airline can get you there quicker than the other usually. So with that, with that happening, I really see in the next 10 to 15 to 20 years that airlines are really going to focus more on, um, 
uh, like I said, less frills and focus on the leisure traveler more than the business traveler. Because I think that's that's one thing that COVID has done is it's it's sh- it's shown or presented the opportunity for just businesses in general to be like, oh, hey, wait, exactly like what you and I are doing right now. Yeah, we conduct that we can conduct this meeting via Zoom, and I don't have to I don't have to pay five hundred or a thousand dollars for my employee to fly across the country and meet with this person in person, we can just yeah. do it like this. And so that's going to, I think that's going to, that's going to hurt the airlines because that's, mm-hmm. that has traditionally been a big moneymaker for them are these, um, these people that fly for a living and, and make these, these trips once, twice, three or four times a week, however many times a week. And even if it's just say 20 to 25% of these people that, that don't fly anymore, that just do zoom meetings, I mean, that's a huge chunk yeah. of the airline's business that they're going to be missing out on. So how are they going to make up for that? Well, they're going to try to get the leisure traveler out there out more. And with that, they're not going to pay these uh, first class fares. They're going to pay these mm. uh, um, uh, coach fast coach class fares. Excuse me. And I, I really think that, like I said, there's going to be less less bling when it comes to like, you know, the fancy first class yeah. seats. They'll still be there. But I don't think the I don't think it's going to be quite as centered around that uh, as it is for the um, the leisure traveler. Okay, that's what about like opinion. yeah? What about the like airport operations, like facility? How will that change in the next twenty years? Um, you know, I I think as I mentioned already, I think the technology aspect of it is, is going to change things the most. Um, there might be some things that the FAA comes out with in the next 10 or 10 to 20 years where it might make things a little bit safer, but as a whole, the, the AV, the, the world of aviation is pretty, pretty safe. Now it's not perfect. We're, you know, it's up, we're always striving to get to that point. But if you look at recent history in aviation there, it's been, it's been a lot safer than, you know, you even go back just 50 years to the the sixties, sixties and seventies. Um, and I really think that the technology aspect of it is going to change the most. And, um, aside from, like I mentioned with like tablets and the phones and being able to do things from your car, um, I think uh, the passenger experience is going to become more technologically friendly. For example, like biometric readers that they've, they've already started going into airports where literally you don't have to present your boarding pass. You, you get to the gate and there's a reader that, that will scan your face and it'll say, oh, you're Matt Anhalt. Okay, you've got a ticket on this flight. You're good to go. It's already happening. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's already happening. In fact, we were talking about Atlanta. I know Delta Airlines is doing that in Atlanta. They've and I think other airlines like American and United are they've started it or they're they're looking into it and going to be starting it soon. But okay. it's things like that that are the future of flying. And yeah. I think that even before that, you're going to have a lot of automation where you can just self tag your bag at the ticket counter. You put it on a, on the belt. Mm-hmm. And a computer or will run the belt automatically and get your bag to to the airplane. Hmm. So with automation, I think, yeah, it's in in your and in, in our lifetime, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that. And again, that's behind the scenes stuff, but it's yeah. we're starting it's the beginning of it right now. I certainly see like more screens, more uh more like just an update of like everybody people's phones and tablets are such a part of their lives that I see USB outlets and I see all these different areas for people to use all these technological devices as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's, and believe it or not, there's actually, I saw this recently within the last couple of months that um, some companies have already started um, making these robots that essentially will um, will take your bag. If you have a carry on bag, they'll take it for you and will be a GPS go to your gate. So you don't have to carry your bag. It'll take it there for you. <laughs> wow. It's pretty wild. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy, but that's, that's the future. It, it's here. It's happening. So, uh, wow. yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. 
So you're someone who's uh, pretty familiar with flying. You've uh, you've said you've thrown you have flown four hundred thousand miles since 2015. Yeah, yeah. It sounds uh, like you fly for a living. <laughs> you would think that, and it's pretty. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. But um, yeah, there's this there's this <laughs> um, this website that I go on where you can you can keep track of all that, and it you know tracks which route it was, and it, it can actually it, you can even get down to the type of aircraft and the, even the tail number. Wow. And with that, you can look up the stats of the aircraft, but you're getting into really, really nerdy aviation stuff there. But the, the main reason that I do it is just so I can keep track of where I've been and again, how many miles I've flown. But yes, you're right. It, it, since I've been keeping track in 2015, it's, it's just a shade over 400,000 total, but in seat miles. So explain to listeners and viewers, why, why, why you, why you fly so much? What do you love about it? What, cause a lot of people, they don't like sitting on, on, on planes and flying, right? You like, know, it, uh, well, honestly, a, a good chunk of that is, um, just our vacations. Like, or yeah. I'd go back to Illinois to visit family and friends in Bloomington, or we, um, we'd go, my wife and I would go to like, we went to Australia, we went to South Africa for our honeymoon. Um, when my sister lived in, in China, I went and visited her in Shanghai, I think four or five times. Mm -hmm. So a, a good chunk of those miles are really like there, there was, well, they all have purpose, but they were like, you know, it was a vacation. I was going yeah. somewhere to visit somebody or, or experience a new country or something like that. So it, it's, you know, my wife and I, uh, we, we, we really love to travel. And so, uh, you know, it's, we like to get out there. But there are a few trips you would admit where you just go for the miles, don't you? <laughs> yes. And it's absolutely crazy for somebody that <laughs> is not into the miles and, and points and gaining airline status game to think about that. But for somebody that enjoys it, you know, it's, it's almost uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's addicting. And, and I will admit, like I've since in the last year or so, especially since COVID has, has come around, like I've, I've definitely cooled down quite a bit, but prior to COVID, um, it was, uh, it was pretty crazy. I think 2019 was my busiest year. I had, I took 79 flights. Wow. All leisure. Like that's all not leisure, all leisure, no, no work trips or anything. Yeah. Wow. 70, 79 flights. Yep. So, so I, I definitely had the, I definitely had the bug. The, uh, they call it in the, in the, uh, um, they call it mileage running and there's actually yeah. a whole, there's a whole community online with all that stuff. And believe it or not, like I would say I'm a, your, your average mileage runner, maybe a little bit above average, but there are some guys out there that are, they just take it to, the extreme. I mean, they're looking at every single, you know, how can I get this deal and maximize my the amount of miles huh. and, and dollars. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's an absolutely crazy community, but in a good way. Um, yeah, it's, you would never think that, but it's actually been around for quite a while. So, um, <laughs> so what know, kind of deals can you get with the miles? Like, how is it, how does that all work? Oh man, you know, it, it's, it's not so much that, well, getting deals is really just a commitment to just being able to yeah. commit the time to just looking maybe on a daily basis or, um, there's actually an, uh, an app called, uh, expert flyer where you can pay like an annual subscription where it can alert you to like, Hey, there's uh, award seats open for this flight on this date. Now I don't do that. But that's an example where some people will will pay that money to get these notifications that, you know, hey, there, here's a good uh, business class deal to, I don't know, Tokyo or something like that. And they'll jump on it because it's pretty cheap, but they'll get so many miles out of it yeah. that they can use at a later date. Um, huh. But, yeah. uh, you know, Smart. They, it's like very uh, like it's like one of those uh, those like spider webs of like. Like I'm yeah. sure like a map, like a world map with all these. Like, 
in a way, I mean, lies, yeah. like I said, it, it's pretty incredible what how some people can piece together these itineraries using just miles or finding these deals. Um, and again, that's just another, it's, it's an example of how, how um, passionate people are for this yeah. whole mileage running and points and miles game. And just to, uh, just to get um, status and get these miles, but it's, I guess you could almost say it's kind of like a drug. Like it's, it's something yeah. that they just enjoy and it's yeah. to each their own. It, but it's just something that most people just wouldn't think of that, you know, yeah. Hey, what are you going to do today? Oh, I'm going to go. Uh, like there's been times where I've just flown to New York and back on the same day. And uh, you know, it's like, you're laughing. Cause you're like, man, you're crazy. Like, <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> but to me, it's like, well, Hey, I can either sit at home this Saturday and do nothing, or I can sit on a plane and do nothing. And, you know, I found a good deal, paid a couple hundred bucks, but I'm getting some miles out of it and then I'm working towards my status. So, you know, it's, you gotta kind of think of it. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. And yeah, exactly. And then if you get an upgrade, you know, you're sitting in first class for free. And so that's just an, an, an extra perk that comes with it. So there's always the chance for that as well. So it's, yeah, the, the mileage running world is be careful. Cause if you go too deep, you'll get sucked in. <laughs> Do you have any, uh, is there any f- like trips or flights that stand out to you? So the, the, the one extreme one that I did, the most extreme one that I did was, um, it was a, it was a trip to Singapore and I was in Singapore for about eight or nine hours. Okay. <laughs> I found, I found a good deal on, I uh, found a good business class deal and, um, and it would just happen to work out where the days off worked out as well. And it was going to net me a ton of miles towards getting uh, Delta status. And mm. I'd never been to Singapore and I've, I had always wanted to go. And so I was just like, you know what, let's do it. And so yeah. I flew business class round trip. Uh, from LAX to Shanghai to Singapore, okay. spent time in Singapore. I actually, I left the airport. I went to the Marina Bay Sands hotel. Look it up. It's very cool. Okay. Uh, Marina Bay Sands. I went to the top of their, their rooftop bar, enjoyed uh, a nice meal, some good tequila while overlooking the city of Singapore. And then uh, went back to the airport, got on a plane and flew <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> you know, it's, and I and I'll agree with you and everybody listening that it's it's absolutely crazy. But you know, at the same time, you're you you just now are thinking about it. You're like, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. There's a little, it's definitely there's a little, cool. There's a little pit. There's a little uh, bit of you, and you know, that's like we're to that point with just being able to travel. That yeah. on a weekend or a three day weekend, I can literally go halfway around the world and you know kind of check off a mini bucket list item yeah and and come back and 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 just being able to do that like yeah it is silly but at the same time it's a great story that i that i can tell people yeah you can tell people on a podcast (laughs) exactly (laughs) so what do you do when you're on the plane to occupy your time what do you how do you spend it um it really kind of depends on the flight i mean if it's a red eye i'm definitely trying to sleep, um, mm-hmm. as most people are. Um, but I, I, I like to pass the time by what I'll do is I'll download, um, a, either a bunch of, um, shows or movies onto my iPad and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll watch those because like I said, you can either, you know, if, if I'm going to be sitting at home watching Netflix or something like that, I could do the same thing on an airplane. Yeah, it's so, true. You know, and so I would, I'll download, um, uh, yeah, I'll download movies and, and, uh, TV shows, or I'll, I'll browse what's on the, uh, the, um, on the airplane, see what they've got. Um, or maybe I'll download some games on my phone to pass the time and then I'll sleep. But that, you know, between, um, if you think about it, especially if you're able to get like a, a business class seat, by the time you actually like go through, you know, getting served your meal and mm-hmm. sleep a little bit. You watch a, a movie or two, you eat again. And if, if you're on a long flight, I mean, that's pretty much it. So, yeah. 
the time can actually go by pretty quick, but generally that's, that's what I'll do. That's the game plan. So yeah, that's, that's my go-to. So this, this is like a question I have for sure. that I'm curious about what are then your favorite airports and why? So, um, my def my favorite airport was, is definitely Singapore. Um, Singapore has been, been voted like best airport in the world. Um, like a number of, uh, years running. Um, and it's absolutely incredible what they've done there. Um, they've really tried to make it a, uh, I can't even explain it. Um, it, it's just such a unique experience. They've got, what did I write down here? Um, so they've got, no, their biggest thing that they just introduced was it's called the Singapore uh, Changi, which is the name of the airport, the Jewel. If you look up Singapore Jewel, it's this giant indoor, basically like botanical garden slash rainforest slash shopping slash restaurants <laughs> slash mirror maze. Like it is, it's just so random, but incredible that it's, it's oh. I can't even explain it. So yeah, for those, uh, for those watching, here's a, here's a photo of it. Yeah. So that is a giant waterfall in the middle of this thing. And they built this at the airport to give passengers and not even passengers. Like, you know, if you're in Singapore, and you can just go to this thing because it's actually located outside of security. So anybody can go to it. Okay. But because it's located right there at the airport, passengers wow. that have a long layover can go out of security, go check it out, and then just go right back into security. Um, but they've got that. I know they've got like a butterfly garden at the airport. I think they have like a small movie theater. And that's on top of all the shops and restaurants. Wait, so, so why did you leave the airport on your trip? You should have stayed in the airport. That sounds fun. Have. I really could have. And if there was an airport, excuse me, if there's an airport to do it, Singapore is definitely the place. But when you look up the Marina Bay Sands Hotel, you'll see why I left. And Singapore, I've heard, is a great is a great city all around. So when I do get back there eventually, um, I'll definitely be leaving the airport for a few days and not just a few hours. <laughs> um, but uh, but not only that, like Singapore Airport, you know. Oh, it's very this is that building. I've yes. seen this building. So I was okay. at the very, the very top of that at basically the, the, the round point up there is, is where the rooftop bar or one of the rooftop yeah. bars. I mean, you got, you got to go to that. I mean, if you're, uh, yeah, so you're basically looking on, here, on the, the left side where it rounds out, that's the bar. So I was basically up there enjoying my cocktail and yep. Yeah. Hey, I was right there <laughs> enjoying my cocktail, watching the sunset and, you know, it was, it was pretty incredible because you have a great view of the city. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing, but you're, but getting back to your point, um, hmm. they, you know, the Singapore made, the, they specifically made their airport like that. So you didn't have to leave it. So it would actually be enjoyable to have a layover there, a long layover. So mm. that's something I wish that airports here would do, but I mean, that I don't foresee that happening in, in our lifetime at all. I think they, I think maybe some airports might be trying to kind of get a little bit towards that, but that's yeah. Singapore is on a whole nother level. It's, mm. it's pretty incredible. All right. Real quick. Your favorite airport in Europe, North America. Europe. And the other continents too, if you. Uh, Europe is Amsterdam. Amsterdam's a pretty cool airport. Mm, yeah, I hear Amsterdam. North America, well, of course, Harry Reid International. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know what? Actually, uh, in North America, um, ooh, that's a tough one. You know, I, I, I honestly have to say that uh, Tampa holds a holds a soft holds a soft spot in my heart, uh, mainly because we would fly into there to visit my grandparents. But I always remember Tampa being pretty cool because it had, it had trains that we would have to take from the, where the gate area was back to the main terminal. And as kids, we would always, always sit up, um, at the train and be excited for that. Okay. But Tampa's always been just really nice. Um, they've got good restaurants there. Um, and the layout is very passenger or user friendly. 
Um, okay. So just off the top of my head, I would say that Tampa is is a nice is a nice airport. And by the way, completely random, they're a great follow on Instagram. Go follow the Tampa Airport Instagram. Tampa account. Airport Instagram. <laughs> it is totally random, but they are hilarious. They 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 post some funny stuff. They got like fifty thousand followers. An airport that huh. has fifty thousand followers. It's, it's pretty great. Trust me. You'll you'll thank me later. <laughs> nice. Uh, but yeah, Tampa, I'd say Tampa is, is probably my, my, my favorite or definitely one of my favorites. Wow. Awesome. Um, I haven't been to South America, uh, Singapore for Asia and then Africa. Uh, you know what I would say, um, uh, when we went on our honeymoon, we flew into a little airport that we had to go to, to get to our safari location. It was called Hoot, uh, and I, I'll have to look that up because it's not spelled how it's pronounced. Oh. Um, but it's this tiny little airport in eastern South Africa where it's the terminal building is basically like just a couple rooms. There's monkeys just kind of all over the place. You have to watch hmm. your or else they'll steal it from you type thing. <laughs> it was such a cool experience. My, my wife and I, we, we couldn't get over it. It was great. We actually saw a monkey steal a bag of Cheetos from one passenger. It was hilarious because <laughs> she wasn't paying attention, but it's just this tiny little airport almost in the middle of nowhere. Um, but that is actually quite busy for its size because that's a main airport that people will fly into to get to these different safaris. But that, that's actually, it was a really cool airport. And then um, uh, let's see, Australia, um, Australia, I've only been to two, but uh, it was called, uh, I think, Hamil Hamilton Bay, I think was the name of it. And it's cool because it's this tiny little island on the south. Like, Well, actually, it should be like north part, north, northeast part of the, the uh, country close to the Great Barrier Reef. But the airport is on a small island, and that's where that uh, was uh, where huh. we stayed. But it was a really cool airport because it was tiny and very unique. So um, I'd say that. And then I guess... That's it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Well, uh, we're kind of transitioning here to some of our last questions and, uh, something I, I have this idea of creating a Spotify playlist based on songs recommended by guests. So <laughs> if you have three songs that you're just like listening to all the time right now that we can put on, that would be great. I, so I, I hate to disappoint you, but I don't, I don't have three specific songs that I'm okay. I'm listening to. I'm more of like a genre type guy. Like I'll, I'll okay. pick a station and go okay. with that. So um, ultimately what I tell people is anything but country is good in my book. Sorry if you're a country anything fan. Or sorry, country. sorry to all the country fans out there. My, my, my wife always rolls her eyes when I say that, but uh, I can literally listen to anything yeah. but um and what did i write down here uh so basically i i go maybe on a daily basis like i'll wake up and i'll listen to like uh, sirius xm chill channel okay uh, either that or some bpm or some lithium and uh then i'll leave it and then at work if i want like a little more peaceful environment there at work i'll listen to some like uh some traditional japanese flute music that's <laughs> very oh calm. there we go and you know it, it's uh it, it's very nice background music that i enjoy um and then um and there's actually believe it or not my wife and i both like this we found this this station on youtube of all places okay. we i don't know how i found it i just came across it one of these days it's called if you type in just good music it's a live stream that plays these songs that's kind of like a like a a, a lounge scene ish so it's it's not quite like hardcore edm but then it's not like okay. the chill um serious radio station mm. it's kind of that in between and it's just just good music i mean it's got a, good music it's got, it's got a good it's got a good beat to it i mean during the summertime we'll have that playing in the background while we have people over at you know at our pool and it's just great music to have in the background so wow. look it up i, I think youtube you know, I think Yep. You, and it's just on YouTube. And like I said, it's a, it's a live streaming. So there's no commercials or anything like that. Wow. And, and that's literally what it's called. Just good music. So 
I know those aren't specific, there's not specific songs in there, but those are the, those are the genres and the stations that, that I like to listen to. Nice. Uh, this is always my favorite question for guests. Uh, what's something you're curious about recently? Um, so, um, I, I really thought about, about that one and we, we've, we've kind of already touched on it already. And, um, you know, what I'm really curious about is as, as are most people is that, you know, when is this pandemic going to end, but more specifically is that what is, what is the aviation industry going to be like once we are fully recovered from it? Cause as, as I already mentioned, cause it's obviously, it's going to affect me quite a bit regardless of what happens but as we've seen in the last couple of years it's affected everybody in every industry but yeah. very much so the aviation industry and i'm very i'm very very curious how how the industry is going to completely rebound for it i mean we're starting now but as i've mentioned i don't think I don't think the business travel or traffic is going to come back like it, like it used to be because yeah. of Zoom, these virtual meetings that we can have. And like I mentioned, that's going to be a huge, um, that's going to be a, a big challenge for the airlines to overcome and where the, and, and how are they going to adapt because how they adapt directly affects me and, and, and my yeah. job at the airport. And so I'm really, really curious to see what's going to happen in the next five years as we come out of this pandemic and how that's going to how that's going to affect and continue to affect the aviation industry, because it's not just it's not just during what happens now is going to have consequences for the, you know, the, these next five, 10 years and, and, and onward. But the initial um, the initial change is what i'm most curious about and how mm. how the airlines are going to react to that and and i don't know none of us know the answer and just time will tell yeah well then uh what's something you're excited for in the next year so 2022 is is going to be a very busy year because uh i've got a number of of weddings to, that's uh -huh. going to be that's go, that are going on some bachelor parties so the thing I'm looking forward to most is, is spending time with, with family and friends this year. And, um, uh, my brother is getting married and I'm, uh, the best man in his wedding. So, um, I'm really looking forward to, to that. And then a couple of my really good friends are getting married as well. Um, and, uh, and I'm in, I'm, I'm uh, standing up in both of those weddings. So it's an honor for me to be able to do that. And I'm really looking forward to um, to spending that time with them and with my family. And that's just, and that doesn't include, you know, any of the holidays that we have this year. Mm -hmm. And then I'm really looking forward to um, a road trip, hopefully with my dad in June. Um, oh, that'd be great. Yeah. So um, I own, uh, my wife and I own a Corvette. And this year is the 50th anniversary of the Bloomington Gold Corvette Show. It started okay. in Bloomington back in, in 1972. But the last five, 10 years, it's been in, uh, in different cities, not in Bloomington. I think Indianapolis and, and, and various other cities. But for the 50th anniversary, it's coming back to Bloomington. And since, cool. since I own a Corvette, I'm like, I got to go. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, because I don't know when, if ever, it'll be back in Bloomington. So hopefully, I'll be able to work that into the schedule with my dad, and we'll uh, um, we'll be able to uh, drive drive Stella across the country back to <laughs> Illinois for the for the Bloomington Gold Corvette show. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that as well. Yeah, those are some uh, some great things, and uh, yeah. I'm ex I'm excited for uh, your brother's wedding as well. That'll be a lot of fun, and seeing your family, your family yeah. is so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. It, it'll be good to see you as well. So, yeah. Well, thanks again for coming on. I appreciate uh, you coming on and sharing all this knowledge that you have about aviation and your flying experiences. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. No. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, like I said, this is my first uh, my first podcast, and uh, it was very enjoyable. I, I enjoyed the questions, and um, 
you know, I, I enjoy your podcast as well. So thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. It's been an honor. Yep. Thanks, Matt. All right. Take care, Rich. Thank you for listening to Rich Conversations. This podcast has now landed. We would like to thank you for joining us and fill your ears with education and entertainment. Again, you can follow Matt on Instagram at airside underscore Matt underscore 83. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Take the time to reflect on the progress of aviation in our lifetimes and where you'll go to next.